day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. We've got a busy show today, and a little later in the hour, we're going to talk about the toppling of statues of racist historical figures and what's happening right here in southeast Michigan. Recently, the statue of the late Dearborn Mayor Orville Hubbard was taken down in a way that has played out in a pretty controversial manner in that community. We're going to talk with two people who are pretty close to that issue about the history of Orwell Hubbard and what has happened uh, in the latest uh, episode of that saga in, in Dearborn. But first, the removal of statues has really become the focus lately in this movement that was supposed to be about challenging structural racism and police brutality in this country. But what happened to the really meaningful conversations we were supposed to be having right now about policy issues, including police reform. The statues are not a distraction. They are important symbols that need their own debate. But there is substantive change that still needs to take place, especially when it comes to policing. In Congress, House Democrats were able to pass a bill with some substance, but that seems to have died a pretty swift death in the Republican-controlled Senate. That chamber passed its own version of police reform, but it was so minimal in scope that House Democrats wouldn't even entertain something that didn't seem to have any teeth. So now what? Where are we? How do we move forward in Washington as we talk about the future of policing in this country? That is where we begin the conversation today. And joining us to talk about that issue is somebody who has been talking about police reform for a really long time. Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence is a Democrat who represents Michigan's 14th district in Washington. Congresswoman, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you so much. I've um Another hot day, but it's a day when you're healthy and safe. It's okay. Yeah, uh, that's right. As I say every day on the program, good day to everyone because every day that we are here is, uh-huh. in fact, a good day given all of the the craziness that goes on around us. Uh, so let's start here. Late last month, the House passed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Uh, uh-huh. Talk about what that legislation would do if it became law. So I wanted to really paint the picture of how every state in the United States have had protests and people crying out from the street that what we witnessed with George Floyd was unacceptable. It was not who we are as Americans, and it's time for us to do something. So I like to inform people that we went from anguish to action, And that's when we introduced the George Floyd and voted to approve it, uh, Justice and Policing Act. And so what we, um, the difference between the Senate and the House bill, when we say it had more teeth, we banned chokeholds. The Senate bill said, recommended you don't use them. We prohibit no-knock warrants, which we know was the reason for Brianna, Brianna Taylor's death, and they recommended that police um, not use it. So we went from we must take action, things must change. Um, we also, there is a provision in federal law that few people 
know about, and it says that a police cannot knowingly, I'm sorry, willfully kill someone or use excessive force that result in death. And so if you go to court and the judge asks any police officer, did you wake up this morning, just said, I'm going to find someone and kill them today. Every officer said, no, you know, I didn't willfully just wake up and plan this. But we are changing the federal statute to say, did you knowingly uh, use force and take someone's life? So there's no way that you can put your knee on someone's neck for eight minutes and 40, I think it's 46 seconds, and see the person squirming, saying they can't breathe, and then to see him become limp and lifeless, and you continue to hold your knee there. And so you didn't know that if a person can't breathe, they're going to die. You knowingly did this. That's another change. We are we are mandating racial um, racial pro, uh, for, sorry prohibiting racial profiling and religious profiling. We are also saying that they must that must be mandated training on de-escalation and and race relations for every police officer. And we are saying that. It's one of the things, uh, Stephen, a lot of people didn't pay attention to. The day that officer took the life of George Floyd, he was training two new police officers. Right. So generational. You know, we've been having this conversation about police brutality. I was just watching the documentary on 1968 and seeing those police just brutally beat protesters. And then they were protesting Vietnam, they were protesting civil rights, and these police were just violent. And we have, in this country, police officers, like the officer who took the life of Mr. Floyd, just repeated complaints and Mm -hmm. incidents of excessive force. What are we saying when you, normally when you have someone in your company to train, they're exemplary. They're the type of person that you want all the other employees to be like. In this case, this person was picked to train. So we're going to mandate that there is a national registry of police who have, that will be reported to the FBI, who have these excessive or repeated uh, incidents of excessive uh, violence. Mm. The Senate bill just recommended local offices maintain a register. So that was the difference. And this bill, and you all should know about the Mitch McConnell graveyard, uh, it's in the graveyard now. <laughs> Where good bills go to die, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, so, so what's the opportunity for compromise here? I mean, is there a, uh, an opportunity well, for compromise? That's- that's the crime in Mitch McConnell's philosophy of being a public servant. His, and he has said this publicly, so I'm not making an assumption. He would not bring any bill forward that does not align with Donald Trump's philosophy. Hmm. And what he is supposed to do 
is come to the table with the congressional bill and say this is not uh, what we want to approve. And then we debate it. We go back and forth. We say, well, we can say you can have a registry, but maybe it can be maintained by the state. We don't want an FBI federal registry. You can say that the mandated training uh, on racial profiling, maybe it can be a training that promotes community policing. We don't like that it says race. I mean, whatever his angst is, then we should be able to negotiate that. And that's what we're sent to Congress to do. It's not for the Democrats to be a dictator or the Republicans. It's for, like, the way that our founding founders of this country did, this checks and balances. And um, unfortunately, he does not even entertain that. Only thing he does, and this is breaking my heart, he said that we will be in power for decades to come because we are filling every seat in the courts. Mm, yeah. I mean, they have been confirming judges at a dizzying pace during the presidency of, of Donald Trump. Um, I, I, I want to talk about how this issue resonates for you and for your district. Your district is 58 percent African-American. And before you were the congressperson who represented that district, you were the mayor of a city that is 70 percent African America. I want. I wonder what kinds of conversations you're having with colleagues whose constituents don't view policing through the same lens as Black people do. I I, I wonder what you're what you're hearing from them and what you're saying to them about the importance of police reform to to Black America. What. What's so different this time, Stephen, is that the white citizens of this country are just as up in arms, just as appalled by what they witness on that video, seeing George Floyd lose his life. And then you, it's just been back to back, the um, the shooting of the African-American who was just jogging through a neighborhood, Brianna Taylor. Mm -hmm. It was, it's just been just back to back to back. And the Cooper lady who called the police, because, you know, it's almost like a dog whistle. It's an African-American. And it's an African-American man. Mm -hmm. Then that should be instant response. And Anybody, you know, especially a white person can say, I'm afraid it's an African American. It's like it's a predator, it's a it's a it's an animal, it's a beast. You have to come and subdue them and and beat them and make them stop. And it was appalling not only to African Americans who have endured this. And you know, the thing that has been I don't want to say comical, but Really is the thing I say is that they weren't allowed, they were not, so many white people were not aware of the talk. The talk that you have to have if you have a black child. Sure. Especially a black male child. And some people, you know, there's a big fight in Congress because there are some white people who have adopted African American kids. And they admit it. I have to have the talk with that kid. It's not because he's raised by a white person 
or he's, you know, biracial or any of that. If he looks and identifies as an African-American, he gets to talk because mm-hmm. his life is in danger in America from police officers. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been, for me, transformational that it is something that you cannot deny. And thank God there are people who are not African-Americans who are just as just as enraged as we are and said there's no more we can't continue to do this you have to stop that's not that's not the values of an american we call police to protect us not to take our lives yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence, a Democrat who represents Michigan's 14th district in Washington. We're talking about the legislation that the House of Representatives has passed, uh, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which would radically change some of the structure and infrastructure for policing the rules for policing in America. It is having a hard time getting a hearing in the Senate, which is controlled by Republicans, where Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell often says he just will not take up any bills that uh, don't comport with President Donald Trump's agenda for the nation. Uh, The Senate had its own bill on police reform that didn't make a lot of substantive changes, but that bill was killed by Democrats uh, who said it just didn't go far enough. The question is, how do we come to some sort of compromise and get police reform through Congress. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what changes you would like to see made in the way we treat law enforcement and the way law enforcement interacts with citizens uh, in this country. Uh, Is it time to, quote unquote, defund the police and really rethink the way that uh, we construct policing uh, organizations and institutions uh, in this country? Or do you think that smaller changes could really make a substantial difference? Uh, As always, The number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the Facebook page, uh, the WDET Facebook page, and put comments there. Or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Chris in Detroit. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey. Are you talking to me? There are two of us. Okay. Yeah, no, I know. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Okay, so, um, uh, Congressman Lawrence, I have a question for you. In 2014, there was an African-American man that died at uh, Northland. Then you did not talk about police brutality, but right now you are so back, you're back in police, you're back in police reform. But you, at that time, you were the mayor of the city of Southfield. What, why are you changing now? Uh, if, if, you, if you really look at what happened in Northland, I held a press conference. I demanded an investigation. The facts are is that Northland had no police that patrolled that facility. They had a private security arm of a security company. Southfield police were not even allowed on that property because they had their own internal security. Those security officers used a similar approach. I was appalled. I had a press conference. I, in, I had it investigated. And the, the, the family of that gentleman had to file a lawsuit against that security company 
It was never the Southfield police. And I have not changed. I have been, when I had the responsibility for Southfield police, it was my expectation that I fulfilled with funding, with accountability, that when our police stop someone, that they treat them with dignity and respect. I mandated that I gave all my officers tasers because that's one of the issues that I have. If you have a mentally ill person who is violent, who unfortunately that domestic violence and um, mental illness are top causes for crime, especially uh, in this country, but even when I was mayor, that there is an alternative to subduing someone other than a weapon. And so I have not changed, and I was appalled by what happened in Northland by a private security firm. Hmm. Uh, Chris, I, I do really appreciate the call, and as always here on Detroit Today, we welcome you know, people who, who want to challenge the guests that we have. Uh, public officials should answer for the things that happen uh, on their watch. And, and I think uh, Congresswoman Lawrence uh, did that. And, and I, again, really appreciate you listening and, and calling in to, to ask about that. Uh, let's go to Mitchell in Farmington Hills. Mitchell, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I just with all I agree with what Brenda Lawrence has said about that police officers don't have the right to uh, right to give to witness to just kill someone just on the spot. I just don't think they have the ability to do so. I just think that they should just do what they should do and do those restraints if they have to. But with all this stuff, of course. The president doesn't help all of this and makes people more afraid of stuff. But I just remembering the fact that both lives matter, not just black people, but just both white and black. But that just with all this polling stuff that just makes me annoyed and kind of upset in the world. I just think that people just don't remember what Dr. King has said in the I Have a Dream speech, which should enlighten people to know that everyone should be should be um, divided equally mm. and respected equally, not just their race. Uh, Mitchell, I really appreciate the call and, and the comments. Uh, I, I want to directly answer your point about black and white lives and how they are valued and measured in this in this country. The reason that we say black lives matter is not because white lives don't matter. It's because in the history of this country, black lives have never mattered as much as white lives. It is an affirmative statement uh, that's necessary in a society that is configured around the concept that black life is not as valuable as white life. It wasn't as valuable when we were slaves. It wasn't as valuable when we had Jim Crow for another century. And they aren't as valued today as we see in instances like uh, the George Floyd murder in, in Minneapolis. Uh, it, it is not an insult against white people. It is not a devaluation 
of white people's lives. It is lifting up black life to a level uh, that would be equal, that might be equal to what white life uh, enjoys in America. And so that is why we say black lives matter. Uh, Congresswoman, I wonder if you want to respond to that as well. Thank you, Steve. And one of the things I say to my white friends, uh, constituents, it's not that when you say Black Lives Matter that it is an attack upon white lives, exactly what you said. But in America, a classic example was Miss Cooper, who she knew if mm-hmm. she said it was mm-hmm. a black man, that that would escalate the sense of emergency. Because she, as a white woman, was afraid because it was a black man. The gentleman who was just killed, and, and forgive me, I, I, I'm not remembering his name, in a, that the, jump, the police said, we're stopping you because you look suspicious. You, you're acting suspicious. He said, what am I doing? And then when you, a police officer doing a stop will treat an African, especially a young African-American, different than he would a white mm-hmm. And I, I would ask anyone to have a conversation with someone on the other race. Ask the question, do you, do you, do you know what my life is like? You, can, you have seen on these talk shows and interviews that very wealthy black men in communities that require you to be a millionaire mm-hmm. have been stopped and pulled over for no reason. Why are you here? Why are you driving that car? They, we, why do we have that talk with our, do, do you as a white person have your parents ever said, you know, be careful. Don't play him as a police stop. You put your hands on the, on the stern wheel. Don't look them in the eye ask permission, say yes, sir, no, sir. Mm. Has that been drilled into you as as a white man? And to see your mother and father just get nervous every time you go out at night because please be careful, remember what I told you. You know, don't don't wear your hood up. You know, please don't do that because that's something that makes you look like a a predator. If you're a white kid, does your parents tell you don't put your hood on? Because that puts you in another category. And we always use that example. A murderer was apprehended. The police talked to him, stopped and bought him a hamburger. But you had a man who was asleep in a drive-thru, who was apprehended and escalated to shooting him in the back. Right, killing him. Right. Killing him. Dead. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that that just happens because you are African-American. It's the kind of thing, as you point out, that we all prepare our our children to have to deal with and our family members. I mean, it's it's just part of black life in this country. And um, I think, you know, uh, it, it is difficult sometimes for white Americans to understand that. But I, I do appreciate Mitchell, you calling and saying what you said, but but I, I hope you're still 
listening to the answer here as to why we say black lives matter. It's because they don't, and it's because they do not have the same value in this society that, that white lives do. It's just, it's just something that has been true from, from the beginning. Okay, Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence, uh, it is always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thank you very much for coming by today. Thank you. That's something I don't want to leave the air saying. Sure. The murders that we see where black people are killing black people is totally unacceptable. It's not a murder only when a white person kills a black person. Mm-hmm. And for everyone listening, we have a problem in our community where we're taking lives of black families and black leaders in our communities and just black Americans. And that must stop. I'm not silent on that. I'm appalled that children are losing their lives from bullets that's being shot from other black members of our community. So please don't think that this is only an issue. Black lives matter, regardless of where the bullet comes from. Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much for having me. They need to matter more everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to take a look at Dearborn and the status of its contentious Orville Hubbard statue. Stay with us on Detroit Today and stay with us on the phones. Christopher in Detroit, David in Marine City, Tim in Bagley. We'll get to you as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.